Welcome to Launchpad, the Dogsthorpe Infant School podcast for parents, children, teachers and schools. Eddie has his paw excitedly poised over the launch button and he has some great guests waiting to meet us. So just sit back and enjoy the show. Okay, Eddie, start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello everyone, my name is Nadia. And my name is Joshua. And we are from Zoom Through History. We want to wish Dogsthorpe Infant School a very Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of Launchpad. From Boston in the north to Cambridge in the south. From Peterborough in the west to Wisbeach in the east. That's where the beautiful countryside called the Fens can be found. And it's right on our doorstep. And it's a beautiful place and it's worth visiting. Our first guest on this episode of Launchpad is Karen. And she is from Fascinating Fens. Karen, it's a wonderful place out there on the Fens, isn't it? Oh, the Fens, like you say, they're they're so amazing really and and fascinating. There's so much out there. And like you say, it's just on on the doorstep really. So... Whether it's depends what you're interested in, but whether you're interested in, in nature, there's heaps out there. So whether it's literally just going for a, for a walk and exploring, or whether it's more of the things like bond feeds going, um, or will be very very soon. Um, and Wicken Fens a great way to see how the fens used to be in the past before they before they were drained. So if it's nature that's your thing, then there's absolutely heaps along those lines. If, it, if it's history, um, lots of people love the sort of the heritage of the fens. So um, whether it's sort of pre how the fens is used to be before they were drained or the actual drainage itself, 286 pumping stations or something like that. Some of those actually can be, be visited um, with the current ones and also ones from, from in the past. Even things like the, well, the museums that, that are local in the local area and a little bit further afield as well. So, you know, whether, whether it's Wisbeach Museum, um, they've got things there like uh, early Dickens um, manuscript, Great Expectations. Um, they've got stuff there to do with Clarkson, they've got Clarkson's chests there, um, so that's quite amazing to look at, look at all of those types of things, and it's, lots of the museums like that one are, are free as well, you've obviously got your, your Peterborough one, which is probably nearer to you guys as well, um, lots of dinosaur stuff there, um, and re- some really interesting sort of facts of, around there, but there's some, if you look into museums, as I say, there's heaps, so whether it's um, the Whittlesea one, the March one, um, Chatteris, there's, there's, there's loads, but if you want to go further afield as well um there's things further afield like Spalding, Ascoby Hall is lovely to have a little bit of a um look around there's stuff in Ely so Ely Museum and Oliver Cromwell House and that type of thing it's just it depends what you're interested in doesn't it but there's there's absolutely heaps people um know that I'm interested in the fens and anything to do with it so if they've taken a picture they'll quite often just include me in it and say hey look this is what I've seen today or this is this is what's gone on um and include me in or if I see some different events going on locally then I'll, I'll let people know about that or any photos that I see sometimes I'll take sunsets and sunrises because it's yeah. one of the yeah. magics of the the fens is because we've got so so flat um you can see all of the sunrises and if you're into stars as well you can see the stars 
obviously for straw bear um, normally happens annually in, in Whittlesea. Um, so yeah, get all the molly dancing and all the straw bears going through, through the town. Um, lots of um, places have um, pumpkin fairs, um, the Rose Fair in Wisbeach celebrate the Fens Days, and that's where lots of places get involved with that um, to be able to, to, to show some of the beauties really of the Fens or some of the, the heritage as well and wildlife. You're listening to Launchpad, the Dogthorpe Infant School podcast. Fens. So why don't you get in your car or just go out onto our beautiful Fenland countryside and enjoy what's out there. Now a little bit of school news. Usually at Christmas time instead of giving one another cards we send save our money up and we send the uh, collected cash to a given charity. Last year it was Bernardo's and their toy appeal. But this year it's going to be a bit different. We're going to join with Net Support in their Christmas appeal and with the Salvation Army in Peterborough. And we're going to make sure that uh, children that don't normally get a toy or won't be able to get a toy this year due to financial restraints in their families, we're going to make sure they get a Christmas present and a nice toy to play with over the Christmas period. We want to do that because we feel at Dogsthorpe Infant School that community is key. Right, it's time for our next guest. Amanda Saderhelm is an author and a play therapist and through toys, children can learn through play. And she's also got some very interesting thoughts about our children today. So it's wonderful to welcome Amanda Saderhelm. Thank you for inviting me, Dave. It's it's lovely, lovely to be here with you. So I I'm a, a certified play therapist and I teach and train parents and professionals how to talk um, to children who are either bereaved or have suffered some kind of loss. And as we know, losses really comes in different forms. That can be a child who's struggling with parents who are getting divorced. It could be um, a child whose grandparents just died. The dog may have died. The cat may have died. These are all little, what I call little big losses. So I help parents understand how to use play and creativity as a medium to talk to children. Because children, young children from the ages of, say, four up to eight or nine, they don't verbally say how they feel. They won't come out with it as you or I might, you know, how do you feel about X? We, we can say exactly how we feel. Children tend not to do that. Their behavior will say it for them. So we learn, we need to learn how to decode what they're saying. And we do that through toys and play. I'm the author of two books, um, Isaac and the Red Jumper, which is a, a picture book for bereaved children and helping children cope with loss and change, which is specifically for um, schools. And so I train um, schools how to use therapeutic storytelling in groups in, in their classes. 
So children love telling stories. They've always got stories to tell. And we use those stories to help us as adults understand what really children are struggling with. So it's a particular tool uh, in my toolkit that I use in my practice when I'm seeing children face to face, when I'm working with families that I know is very effective. And so I teach schools how to use this toolkit. Um, and it's based on a concept called the invisible backpack. And children carry this invisible backpack around with them. It's got lots of heavy things in it. The, the storytelling helps them to unpack their worries and their anxieties. So that's something I've done through the pandemic over Zoom. Um, and prior to that, um, I was doing it, I was doing it face to face. I'm still doing it on Zoom, as that's really the best way of reaching a large number of people. It works very well um, through that medium and it's a portable, it's a portable tool. So wherever, whether you're a teacher or a parent, um, you can use this tool um, and sort of at any point, whether you're at home, whether you're stressed, whether you're in a very busy classroom, it's something that you can use easily. The, the biggest issue is uncertainty, how to cope with the level of uncertainty that's been thrown at everybody. Um, that is very unsettling and destabilizing for a lot of children. And for some children, it can also trigger, particularly if there's been trauma, it can trigger a traumatic response. So children become very dysregulated. Um, it's, it's the level of not knowing, you know, are we in school? Are we out of school? Are we wearing a mask? Are we not wearing a mask? If I go outside, is somebody going to get this um, virus and am I going to bring it home? I think this drives up the level of anxiety for parents and, and also for, for professionals in schools. So it's this learning to cope with, am I doing the right thing or am I doing the wrong thing? And I always say that I think for, for, for parents particularly who have anxious children, that can affect their anxiety. So parents need to learn to not only take care of their children, but also of themselves. Mm. So the, if you think about it, it's a bit like um, uh, a seesaw. You know, if I'm if I'm sort of really uh, anxious, I'm going to be pushing down and the, and the other person is going to be flying, flying high above me. We need to balance those scales so that our children don't pick up on our level of anxiety. And I know it's easier said than done, but I think that's. That's central to all of this. Our children are noticing our level of fear and anxiety and they pick it up and then they start to feel it. So I think it's about learning how to take care of our of our own emotions and feelings as adults so that our children see us modeling that for them. Um, and sometimes that can be, you know, if if a child is very anxious, it can be, let's all get together as, as a family if we can and do something together. Let's play a game. Um, let's get very cozy together. Let's sit by the fire. Let's put blankets around ourselves so that, you know, you, you feel safe. Um, sometimes, that's, sometimes that's all you can do. Whatever's going on outside 
the home and within the school, when children come home, they need to feel safe and secure. And so setting aside time to play with them, um, I don't mean to learn something or to figure something out, but just to be either messy together or to do something that's, that's playful and fun will help them to become less fearful. Um, sometimes talking about things can make it worse in a way. You know, it's like a worry that you have in your mind. The more you focus on it, the, the worse it gets. So, um, yes, playing, playing a simple game together, um, making time, um, particularly in the evenings, you know, when before children get ready to go to bed, that's when the anxiety can really start to, to ramp up. 15 minutes, just, just playing simple games together or just being with your child, that can help them cal calm them down. You know, sometimes digital games and social media mm. can affect and interrupt um, the intimacy that can be created between um, siblings and uh, parents and children, because really, and I see this all the time in my practice, the more time you spend um, playing with your child, not necessarily through a console or a screen, but actually with them, painting, drawing, crafting, uh, building something, let's go out into the garden and let's collect um, you know, a basket of, of flowers, of stones, of, of um, leaves and branches, and let's make a wishing well tree, something like that, and let's stick it on the wall in the kitchen. And every day, you know, we'll make a wish and we'll put our wishes on the tree. Something like that is a very playful and bonding experience. Mm. So your child then gets excited about coming down in the morning, you know, is the wish still on the tree? Has the wish come true? Uh, at night, it's, they can put their, their hopes and dreams on the tree. And this was something I did at, um, when I was at Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children. We, we created these wishing trees on the walls of the hospital. And it was amazing how anxious children reduced their level of anxiety because they'd actually taken their worry and they put it somewhere else. And you can do this at home very easily on your fridge, on your, on your wall, wherever you've got space. And children love doing it because they, they can make it their own. Yeah, I, I think, you know, adversity can often force people to be very resourceful and very creative in ways that they may have not thought about um, before. And, you know, something else that is a very simple uh, resource to have, but it, it's very powerful, is, um, you know, ask your children what it is that they actually, that, that they want the most, you know, have they had a good day, what's the most, um, what's the thing that worries them the most, and what's the thing that they hope will be happening next, and get them to write those things down, or draw a picture about it, very often young children, they're carrying around these thoughts and these feelings in their head. And because we're busy, um, we tend to perhaps not ask them about these things, but actually it's like um, a net. If you, if you put a net around it and you catch them, um, it, it stops them from worrying. 
I think it's said that for every individual who is bereaved, six or eight other people within that family are also affected. Mm. So it, it's it's a really big issue. Um, I think in schools, what 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 is helpful is for younger children to be involved in making something, whether it's um, a memory bracelet or whether it's a picture or having a, a jar where they can put um, something in every day that reminds them of the person who's died. It's, it's doing what we call um, creating a, a touchstone and having a bond with that person. And there's a, a connection between children who do this tend to feel less alone and less isolated than those who don't. So it's a reminder that the school is thinking about, about them. It's giving them an opportunity to remember the person who's died, but it's not dwelling on it all the time because children don't want to dwell in their grief. They, they sometimes want to be sad, they are sad, and then there are days when they just want to be playing with their friends and you know running around and, and not thinking about it. And that can sometimes give the impression that they're not sad. I've heard a lot of parents say to me, but you know, my son's fine. He's, he's laughing and joking. Um, but then there are other times when he's really, really sad. So it's important to not be misled into thinking that children aren't affected by, they don't feel their grief because they are playing. That's how they're processing their, their grief is through the play. Um, so allow them to do it. Don't worry if they're being, uh, if they're making jokes and they're doing what you think doesn't look very serious, they will be processing their feelings. So just make sure you've got um, a space in your, in your classroom where they can go and return to if they just want to take five minutes and just make something out of pipe cleaners. Um, that's always very effective to have on hand uh, and a few feathers things they can stick and glue together and they can maybe wear it. And that helps them feel that that loved one is close. Parents, if you're listening to that, maybe you should think about that or teachers, if you've got a, a pupil in, in your class that is going through bereavement, why not take some of Amanda's advice? Cause that's, that sounds really useful. Um, you mentioned Amanda that you're, you're an author as well. Um, your books, um, are they the sorts of books that are going to be in, uh, going to be interesting to our our teachers? Yes, um, Isaac and the Red Jumper is a picture book for bereaved children, so it's ideal to read with a young child, someone who um, may be a little bit quiet and reserved. You might be concerned about them. You might notice them in your class and think. I'm a bit worried about Johnny you know he's not said very much about losing his granddad or losing his pet reading a book quietly with a child is a is a really helpful way for them to feel that you're listening to them and that they can then talk to you about how they feel if they want to so it's it's illustrated um by an artist called Anne Scott the pictures are really bright and colorful so children really identify with the colors and the and the photographs and it's a way for them to just talk about how they feel um so yes I'd recommend that for children in the four to eight 
um, age group. It's available. Um, you can you can buy it online. You can buy it through my my website, helpingchildrensmileagain.com. Um, and the other book is really um, a resource for teachers who want to do um, classwork around bereavement and loss and, and use storytelling. So I give lots of templates, lots of examples. So I make it very easy for teachers to use it because I know they're super busy and don't have um, a lot of time to, to create resources. So I've given them the resources in the book um, and that, that's called Helping Children Cope with Loss and Change. I do training for uh, schools, um, academies, trusts, who want to learn how to use a, a therapeutic play toolkit. So you don't need to be a therapist um, to, to do this, but I think it's important to learn the, the principles of therapeutic play so that in the situations we've just been talking about where you may have a bereaved child in your class, um, you've got skills and you've got a toolkit that you can use and also um, I show you how to use that in a classroom environment, not just with a with an individual child. Part of the training that I offer also includes um, a section on how teaching staff can take care of themselves, uh, because it's very easy, as I know, you know, how quickly people can burn out if they're not properly uh, feeling supported. And I'm seeing this a lot at the moment and it concerns me a great deal. So um, there is a section there in the training, how to use the tools for yourself as well. Um, if you're a teacher or um, a teaching assistant or even a, um, a deputy head, a head, a governor, these are all tools that can be used by, by everyone in the school. Eddie and Captain Dave will be back again soon with another episode of Eddie's Launchpad. And from everyone at Dogsthorpe Infant School, it's goodbye until we meet again on the learning journey to dream, believe and shine. Five, four, three, two, one. Victoria Jane. You might have seen me on TV in famous children's shows, looking a little bit silly. I'm appearing soon as Beauty in Beauty and the Beast, the Crescent Theatre's pantomime this Christmas. I wish all of the little stars of Dogsthorpe Infant School and all of their families a very, very happy Christmas and a safe new year. If you come to see me at the Crescent, please give us all a massive wave. And always remember, be kind, be respectful, and dream, believe, and shine.